Area 10 Faith Community meets in the historic Bird Theater in Carytown in Richmond, Virginia. We worship together at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings, both in person and online at youtube.com slash area10church. Kid-friendly programming is also available at the same time just down the street at 2810 at Community Gathering Place. We hope to see you at the Bird Theater soon. Now, on to this week's message. Good morning. My name is Rachel Woolard. I am the Creative Arts Minister here at Area 10, and I am notoriously bad with fish. Um, growing up, I had a menagerie of different animals. I, at one point, had three cats, a dog, two birds, a hamster, and probably a handful of fish, fish at any given point in time. And um, just fish and I, we're not on the same page. Unfortunately, probably we would go to the fish store, get a couple of fish, and then a couple months later have to hold a short but sweet memorial service um, for the dear ones. Um, and so we went on like this for a long time, like memorial service, back to the fish store, buy fish. It was a series of unfortunate events. Um, whew. Uh, but one day, my mom and I, we found the perfect fish. Uh, they were not extraordinary by any means. They looked just like your average, ordinary goldfish. Uh, but these fish refused to die. Uh, they, w- they lived just on and on. I would, I would get tired of, uh, or I would forget to feed them. And I would remember while I was, I was at school, and then I would come home, and I would be like, surely the fish are going to be there, belly up. And no, they were there, happy as clams. But fish. <laughs> <laughs> We went on like this for well over a year, and these fish just absolutely refused to die. They were still hanging out. And I I have to admit, at this point, I didn't know how long the fish life cycle was. I just assumed that it was like a year or less. And so I kind of got tired of having fish. They were, you know, kind of passive responsibility. They didn't do anything entertaining or fun. Um, And so my mom, she found a solution to our fish problem. Uh, She found someone at work to adopt our fish. Have you ever adopted fish before? Apparently, uh, what really sold them on these particular goldfish was the fact that they apparently have eternal life and cannot be killed. And I just have to assume at this point that they are still out there somewhere living. They will be passed on from generation to generation of pet owners uh, because these fish refuse to die. What is it about a good fish story? I feel like everybody has some kind of fish story. Your dad or your granddad definitely have one, and every time they tell it, it grows by a couple of inches, right? Um, At the very least, we have a suspiciously high number of fish-related metaphors. Uh, He's like a fish out of water. There's plenty of fish in the sea. She's the one that got away. He bought that story, hook, line, and sinker. I could continue on. There's so many of these. And for those of you that grew up in the church, or even if you didn't, uh, you've definitely heard the whale of a tale that comes from the book of Jonah. Um, Last week, Chris began the story of Jonah. Jonah is a prophet of God. He received a call from God to go ask the Ninevites to repent of their sins. They were not doing good things. And so Jonah did not like the Ninevites. They were not very nice people. So he hopped on a boat going the opposite direction to Tarshish. Um, And a big storm came up. Chris talked all about that last week. If you missed last week, please go listen to it. We talked about how God loves us so much, but he also loves everybody else, even the people that we hate. And so his message of salvation is an important one. Um, So Chris 
Chris talked to you through what happened to the sailors. They um, are afraid for their lives, they think they're going to die, and they're sailors, so they know when a storm is really bad. And they finally figure out that Jonah is the one who has disobeyed God, he's running away from him, and so they toss him over the side of the boat, and the storm stops. Chris talked to you about what happened to those sailors, but we're going to zoom out from the sailors on the boat and zoom back in to Jonah's side of the story. So let's dive in. I, could, I, I deleted so many fish puns from this message. This is just skimming the surface, y'all. And I just came off of that at the top of my head. All right. <laughs> this is the story. This is the part of the story here where um, in Jonah 1.17, and the Lord appointed a great fish to, fo- to swallow up Jonah. So you may not know anything about Jonah other than this part of the story. Um, we actually rewatched jo- the VeggieTales version last night. I was like, that really holds up. The animation, eh, they got some, it's good. You should watch it. I'm off script. You might not actually know anything about Jonah other than the fact that he was swallowed by a great fish, or some people will say a big whale, um, depending on who tells the story. But this is not the first time in the Bible that we see great fish mentioned. So anytime we approach a scripture, it's good to look for other instances where a similar thing has happened, because it's actually going to give us some context into what's happening now. So the first time that we see a great fish is actually in the very first chapter of the very first book of the Bible. Did you know this? In Genesis 1:21, it says, God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves. So interesting that they chose great sea monsters. God has created the heavens, the earth, the seas, and now he is filling them. And this is one of the things that it mentions. Now, the Israelite people, they are not particularly well-known for their adventuring spirit. They're kind of like hobbits. They like to stay close to home. They don't go very far. Part of this is because uh, the temple where they worshipped God was in the center of the land. So, like, you don't need to go very far from home. But also, the world is filled with very big, scary, dangerous things. So to leave home would be to make yourself vulnerable to all kinds of unknown military threats or monstrosities in the wilderness. So as as far as they were concerned, there was no need to, to leave home. This is part of why God basically has to kick Jonah out the door to go preach the good news of his forgiveness and love to a neighboring country. But you can see in the very first chapter of the Bible that there's this fear of things that are outside in the wild. But God is telling them, I created those things. I am in control and I have dominion over that. We see another reference to a great sea monster. Some of us are reading through the Bible in a year um, together as a faith community, and we're in the book of Job. And we haven't gotten to Job chapter 41 yet, but we're almost there. And that is basically a poem about a giant sea monster called a Leviathan. And the Leviathan is this huge, terrible beast of legend. And God is basically asking Job, okay, you, you think you're smart enough? You can control this giant sea monster? Obviously, the answer is no, he cannot, um, but God can. So again, it's this idea of God is in control of his creation. I think this is especially interesting if you take into consideration what the surrounding cultures uh, were saying about great sea monsters. You've heard of myths like the Kraken or the Loch Ness Monster, 
this fear of things in the water um, has gone has been true for basically all of humanity. Um, sea creatures were powerful forces of nature, feared by everyone, especially um, by sailors who risked their lives on the open ocean. But one nation in particular um, that would later capture the Israelites and carry them off to exile, the Babylonians, they had a legend about a sea creature which has survived throughout history. We have a story of a primordial goddess of the sea who represents evil and chaos. In their religious text, she is considered a creator goddess who formed the earth by splitting the seas. Sounds a little familiar. Um, Here's a picture of her. Looks like kind of a dragon. Um, In their religious imagery, she's often depicted as a sea dragon or sea serpent or a dragon-like creature. And for my D&D friends in the room, guess what her name is? Tiamat. That's right. So uh, Tiamat has even endured through uh, culture today, um, showing up in things like Dungeons & Dragons. Um, But while the surrounding nations shivered when they heard that all-powerful name of Tiamat, the Bible consistently depicts creatures of the deep differently, and intentionally so. They are powerful. They are worthy of being feared, but they are not chaotic evil. And God is always shown to be able to use them and their power to his devices. So here, the next time that we see the creature appears, um, it is under the direction and control of the Most High God. And that is when he commands him to swallow Jonah. But the language here actually demotes this sea creature a little bit and just calling it a big fish. It's kind of uh, a comedy. It's like thinking about it, uh, characterizing it in a funny way. Uh, But the connection is there and it's intentional. And we know that because actually in early depictions of the story of Jonah from Hebrew and Christian art, um, we have a picture of the image that doesn't resemble a whale at all, but more like this sea creature dragon-like thing. So basically the author is saying, those deep, dark monstrosities of the sea, they listen to the voice and obey our God too. And actually, this chaotic creature of the deep is doing a better job of following God's direction than Jonah is so far. And we could very easily spend our time trying to figure out exactly what this sea creature is, how it could have possibly been large enough to engulf a fully grown man, let alone how he could survive in the belly of it. But honestly, I don't see the point. For one, there's a lot of things in this world that we don't know about. Um, And by professing a belief in an all-powerful God, at some point I have to trust that there are things that I, I don't know, that I don't understand. And two, that's not what this book is about. God is trying to communicate a much larger truth through this story. And so if we get caught up in the weeds or the seaweed, it isn't going to get us any closer to the beautiful truth this story has to offer. So we're going to continue on. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Okay, there's something else here that you should notice if you've been reading your Bible for a while. You might, this might stand out to you. Three days and three nights. Another time this phrase, three days and three nights, was used was in the New Testament, describing the death of Jesus and his journey through the realm of death, which is called Sheol, to defeat it, um, only to be raised on the third day. And throughout the Bible, the closer you look, you see this journey of three days pop up again and again. And it's always used to describe a time of danger or testing or nearness to death. These ominous journeys were 
where the results, uh, where the results are uncertain. And in this case, whether it literally means 72 hours or it's just telling you this is a period of time that he could not have survived, it was meant to emphasize how perilous this moment was and how survival would not be possible without intervention from God. So if you get caught up at this point of the story saying, nope, no way, not possible, that's fantasy, that's a myth, that's kind of what the author wants you to think. No one could possibly survive this journey without a miraculous intervention. Although maybe he should, maybe Jonah should die as a result of this. Like, that's kind of the way things typically go, right? You know, man disobeys all-powerful God and dies. It's just sort of the thing, the way we expect things to go. Um, But Jonah doesn't die. He is swallowed by the great fish, and he lingers somewhere between between the realm of death and life for three whole days. And in the most dramatic fashion, um, in true Broadway musical form, he takes this opportunity to break out into song. (laughs) It says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, sang or singing. I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, the realm of death, I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. At the root of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought my life from the pit. O Lord, my God, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. There's something weird about this, right? Why is he, one, singing? That's kind of odd. But why is he singing as if he's already come through this journey to the other side? At this moment where Jonah sits, he's still in the belly of the fish. Have you ever heard of anyone surviving that? It's not, not normal. So why is he singing in the past tense? This, this really bothered me when I read it, and honestly, I was frustrated because I was like, this is the author taking too many artistic liberties with the story, and he's, he's gotten his, like, tenses mixed up here. But because it bothered me, I decided to dive deeper into, that was not an intentional thing there, um, into it and find out what was happening here. And this is really interesting. Jonah isn't a acoustic singer-songwriter. He's a prophet. He has no interest or ability to write songs. Um, what he's doing is he is quoting a mashup of the Psalms. It's like when your first boyfriend or girlfriend breaks up with you and it seems like every single sad, sad song on the radio is about you, or when something really terrible happens in your life and it seems like that song that you can't get out of your head is describing your life perfectly, it's just like that. In the dark and silence of the belly of the beast, he is remembering stories and songs that he was taught as a child. It's like the playlist of the greatest 80s, 90s, and today, Jonah is creating a mashup of dozens of different references that apply to his current situation. So if we look back at 
verse 2. I'm actually going to read, um, you look at this, I'm going to read from Psalm 118. Out of my distress, I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. Let me go to Jonah, verse 3. Um, this comes from Psalm 42. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. And then verses 5 and 6 um, is similar to Psalm 18. The cords of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. So we could continue line by line, but essentially Jonah's like one of those guys that knows the tune but can't remember exactly what the words are. So he's just kind of pushing it, mashing it all together. Um, Jonah's close to death, and he thinks he sees the light at the end of the tunnel, but he's finding comfort in the words of the psalmists, in the songs that he remembers. He's reminding himself of the truths of God despite his current circumstances. Does he expect God to save him? I don't know. But I know that he knows that God can. Jonah fled from God. He intentionally tried to leave God's presence behind, to escape from the call to go and preach to the Ninevites. But here, in his darkest hour, he realizes that no matter where he is, even in the depths of the sea, even at the doorstep of the grave, that God can hear and answer his prayers. There is literally nowhere he can go to escape from the presence of God. He cannot even hide in the shadow of death. He finishes his song saying, But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. Jonah realizes now that God's love extends far and wide. His steadfast love reaches beyond just his chosen people. And God wants this message of hope and restoration, salvation comes from the Lord to reach the ends of the earth. But all too often, just like Jonah, it's our own disobedience and fear that gets in the way of that message. Now, there were no magic words that Jonah could say to force God to open the belly of the fish. But, um, although Jonah couldn't, couldn't have earned his salvation, when he recognized that God is good, Despite his circumstances, God saved him in his mercy. So let's bring it into our own lives, because this is a, an old, old story. What is the furthest that you have ever felt from God? When did you feel so far away from God's love that it could not touch you? When have you felt so isolated by shame or brokenness or apathy that the light of God's face could not possibly reach you? The storms of life rose up and you have been consumed. You might feel swallowed up by fear or addiction or self-loathing or a life you didn't choose. The truth is, no matter where you are, you are not too far for God to reach you. So I think the first truth we can take from this text is that in your darkest moments, God is near. 
No matter how long or far you have actively run from the will of God, he is still right there beside you. And you may not currently feel his presence, but his presence is not based on how we feel about it. The truth is, he's there. This quote from Derek Charles Johnson, he realized that even in his sin, Jonah's sin, God was still close by. God could have allowed Jonah to drown. He could have started over with someone else. He did not. In his grace, he allows the fish to swallow up Jonah, and in that, Jonah realizes that he has been spared and given a second chance. As dark as the place is where he sits, God is not far off and distant. God is near. For you and I, this brings great hope. Jesus never abandons us when we are in the pit of life. His presence is there, and we need only to call upon his name to be brought into right standing once again. God might feel distant, but he's coming alongside you right now. And no matter how far you've fallen, God restores. Maybe you think you're too far gone. <laughs> you've made too many wrong choices. But those are lies that we tell ourselves. There's nothing, no sin, no bad choice, no unhealthy habit, no heart so hard that God can't bring you back. Romans 8, 37 through 39 says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God and Christ Jesus our Lord. No choice we make is ever going to pull us so far that God can't save us. God wants to be with you. But you cannot get closer to God by turning away from him. His nature, his holiness demands that we turn from any sin in our lives in order to draw closer to him. I think the third thing we can learn here is that no matter how hopeless it seems, there is hope in God. I don't know where you're at. The whole world might seem a little dark right now. I can only imagine the depths of grief or shame or heartbreak that some of you are experiencing in this room. And in no way do I want to minimize your pain, but the truth of Jonah's story is that no matter how close to death you may feel, God can still breathe new life into you. I can't authentically preach this message, um, I feel like, without telling you about one of those times in my life when I felt the furthest from God. Um, if I'm asking you to confront the shadows of your past or maybe your present, then I owe you a glimpse into my own hard-heartedness. Um, I had just turned 32 years old, which was not that long ago. I had lived a good Christian life. Um, I was baptized when I was 12 years old. I felt the call to go into ministry when I was 16, so I went to Bible college when I was 18. I even became an overseas missionary to China when I was 20 years old. 
after graduating, I worked for a church planning organization. Um, I attended church, and I lived an authentically faithful life for a long time. Until I didn't. Fast forward several years. Um, my husband, Zach, and I had both gone back to school, and we were so close to finishing, um, but the sprint to the finish line almost killed me. <laughs> um, Zach was working 80 hours a week, doing both his student teaching and working full-time so that we wouldn't lose our health insurance. Um, I saw him all of two nights a week, and I did every ounce of laundry and cooking and shopping. I filled my time with work and Zumba classes and fostering kittens and all these good things. Um, but for the first time in my life, I stopped going to church. The drive was too far. No one really knew me there. I had served on a team, but I didn't feel connected. I had all kinds of excuses not to go. But the truth was that my heart had ended up very far from God. I was still doing all the right things, but in my heart, I, I didn't want to worship. I didn't want to pray. I didn't want to be in community with people who challenged me and held me accountable to my faith. I was living my life. It was a good life. It was a faith-adjacent life, but without God. Some of you here today know what I'm talking about. You feel me because you've been there or you're there right now. It took me a really long time to notice it. Um, and once I did, I didn't really care. <laughs> I felt spiritually hollow. I hadn't hit rock bottom. I wasn't swallowed by a sea dragon sinking to the bottom of the ocean. It was more of like a gravityless void. As, as the kids say, I wasn't taking L's or W's. It was mid. <laughs> Maybe today you feel like I felt then. You aren't necessarily angry at God. There wasn't some cinematic tragedy that left you shaking your fist at the sky. It's more like apathy. You just don't care. And all too often, this is how it goes. Like Jonah, unlike Jonah, we don't openly run from God. We just slowly drift from his presence. We just take him off our calendar, push him out of our mind day after day until there's nothing left. Your faith, which once burned like a fire, has run deathly cold. Maybe you feel as far away from God, to, from God as Jonah did at the, in the belly of the fish, at the bottom of the ocean. This is an interesting fact of faith to me. You can be walking the right path and still be headed in the wrong direction. We often think of our faith journey as a linear path from point A to point B, but the world and how we journey through it is often much more complicated than that. It's not a straight line. Um, I found this diagram helpful. I can't remember where I saw it first. I couldn't find it, um, so I just drew it this morning and threw it up there. Um, but you have God in the center, shining his light, and then all these little points in space are us. And some of us are very, very far away from God. Some of us are, are closer to him and his holiness and the goodness and rightness. Um, but the the placement of the dots doesn't matter nearly so much as I thought it did. It's 
the orientation, it's the direction that the dots are moving that matters. So you might be like this little guy over in the corner and, and you've been sort of faith adjacent for a while, but when you turn towards God, everything changes. Or you could be more like where I was, kind of that dot that's somewhat close, like doing the right things, living a good life, head in the opposite direction. At this point in my life, I was not far from God, but in the midst of this spiritual void, I got a phone call from a friend who was telling me that Area 10, a church that I had previously felt really connected at and plugged into, was hiring, and they thought I should apply for the position. And I will be honest, I wasn't sure I was qualified. And it wasn't because I couldn't do the job. Um, it was more of an admin position. Uh, but I wasn't sure if I could work for a church when my personal faith was stale. Um, but like I said, the role wasn't super spiritual, um, or else I probably wouldn't have applied. But moving back to Richmond, being at Area 10, being in a place where people encouraged me to pray, to step into leadership roles, um, being surrounded by good people, seeking out God on a daily basis. It was an environment that nurtured my faith back to life. I'm not saying that I've arrived spiritually or that there's no room for improvement, but my heart, which had gone really hard, has been kneaded back to flesh and muscle. And I can finally feel the blood of God's spirit in me again. And what changed wasn't what I was doing, but the orientation of my heart back towards the light and light and warmth of God. But this journey back towards God is not always simple or pretty, for Jonah especially. Let's go back to the story. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Um, the Hebrew word here, interestingly, for vomit is ka, which I just think is really funny. It's just like very ka. It's perfect. Anyway, so um, the answer to Jonah's prayer, his beautiful song that his ma he mashed up, was vomit. God sometimes has a way of answering prayers in a way you never would have expected. I'm pretty sure that Jonah never would have thought that he would be relieved to be upchucked by a fish. Yet here we are. Um, Caitlin Wernett says it beautifully. Um, she's an author, a writer for She Reads Truth. Sometimes grace is messy and dark. Sometimes mercy is painful and scary. God does not need perfect circumstances to bring us closer to him. In fact, it's usually the opposite. Jonah's story is going to continue, and it's going to take a lot of twists and turns. I hope you'll stick with us through the whole thing. Um, but I think at this point right now, Jonah's heart is oriented in the right direction. If Jonah's story teaches us anything, it's that even, you know, quote, followers of God have a hard time following it's important for Christians to know and remember because it forces us to come to terms with our own God orientation. We can be doing good things, making good decisions, and be completely out of alignment. Every day requires a choice to fully face the presence of God and walk toward it, no matter 
where we find ourselves. So in the moment, in, in your darkest moments, God is near. No matter how far you've fallen, God restores. No matter how hopeless it seems, there is hope in God. In the church, we have an interesting tradition. It is interesting. Um, to symbolize a person submitting their life to God, leading them into a new life with him, we ask them to be baptized. Uh, this is a moment where a person is willingly submerged below the water, symbolizing death, to be raised again to new transformed life. This imagery shows up over and over and over again in the Bible. God births all of creation out of lifeless waters. Noah's family survives a worldwide flood. The Israelites escape slavery, passing through the Red Sea into freedom. Over and over again, we see that when we come close to death, God gives us a chance to be raised again with a new chance to follow God with our whole hearts. So for those of you in the room who have never tried to be God-oriented, this is an invitation. It's not a threat. This isn't a story um, that's turn or burn, or in this situation, uh, turn or drown. That's not, the, not what we're doing. The point is, when we choose to flee from God, we're choosing the chaos, the danger, and the pain that the world has to offer. But God is the giver of all good gifts, and he wants to offer us a more beautiful, more whole, more loving way of living. And you are never too far gone to start. No matter where you are, you are never too far for God to reach you. If you want, you can continue to be the Lord of your own life and see where that leads you. You have that choice. Um, and if you want to walk out this morning, you can, you can leave unchanged. <laughs> or you can decide to follow a different path and submit to God's will for your life. If you're ready to do that this morning, we're actually going to have time during the next song for response. Um, but before we get there, I'm going to talk to what is maybe the more likely scenario in this room. You've been a Christian for a while now. Uh, it might be months. It might be years. But some of you know that deep down in your heart, you're out of alignment. You might be living a decent life, a good life but you're not oriented towards God. Maybe you feel like you've got control of things right now. Everything's good. But when the waves of life get too high and you have to make a choice to repent or go crashing over the side of the boat, let's do something about that before we get to that extreme. You don't have to hit rock bottom to repent. Repentance simply means to turn. Let's all turn towards God so we can fully embrace and bask in his presence without fear or shame. Now, a few members of our prayer team are going to come forward. Um, the band's going to start to play. We're going to take communion a little bit later in the service. This is just a time for reflection and response. Anyone who wants to come forward to be prayed over right now, it can be um, maybe you're wanting to follow um, 
change your God orientation for the first time, or maybe you just need a realignment, please come forward. Whether you've recently been running for God or you've felt your heart hardening for a while, don't leave this room without having someone pray for you. This could be your first step back into the loving presence of God.